Support for Class Dismissed comes from School Status. School Status helps educators at every level take control of student data for increased outcomes and meaningful stakeholder engagement. Find out more at schoolstatus.com. You are listening to Class Dismissed, episode 180, and I'm your host, Nick Ortigo. This week, which states are already allowing all teachers to get the COVID-19 vaccine? And could an increase in the federal minimum wage have an impact on educators? We'll discuss. Dismissed is the podcast that inspires educators through story. Each week, we cover some of the hottest topics and news in the world of education. Plus, we hear from a guest with a bright idea for education that you can apply in your community. This week, how to have those difficult conversations with colleagues while maintaining grace. Stay with us. Hello, everybody. Nick Ortego here. I'm joined by friend, principal, and co-host, Christina Pollard. Christina, how are you doing? I am fantastic. I am being very positive and keeping my spirits high. You should, right? I mean, there's there's lots yeah, absolutely. To, there's lots to look forward to. I, I think we were talking right before the show. I'll, I'll mention this real quickly. It looks like um, Joe Biden is calling for what 130 billion dollars going towards K through 12 relief. Now, it has not even come yeah. close to actually going through Congress, and it, no telling what it'll be like when it comes out on the other side, but that's a good sign. But still, it's a good sign that education is at the forefront of their plans, that they're thinking about all of the children, and they're thinking about our teachers, and that we deserve better. Um, and so I'm really looking forward to whatever the final draft may be um, being approved. Right. To impact K-12 and, education. And that is billion with a B. Like that is a lot of money when you really stop and think about it. Absolutely. It, unprecedented. And I think when we, if you really reflect, remember um, back when President Obama was elected um, and he came into office in 2009, we were in the Great Recession. Um, things were kind of spinning out of control and he wanted to pass the stimulus package is how it was usually referred to um, in the news. And that stimulus package, I think, was 800 and something billion, maybe 900 billion but not even reaching the trillions that we're talking about spending nowadays. So that just gives you some perspective of the amount of spending that the country is doing during this coronavirus and economic catastrophe that we've been living through for the past 10 months. It's just huge numbers. Very true. Um, so I was kind of curious, uh, so much talk about the vaccine, and I'm starting to know people, usually parents and grandparents who are, are now getting in line uh, for the vaccine or already have even received the vaccine where we live. And I was curious, I said, uh, you know, what's the rest of the country look like when it comes to teachers and getting the vaccine? Are certain states allowing this? So um, sure enough, I found an article on Ed Week, and they are keeping track of this. Now, this is a couple days old, two or three days old. Um, but they say that there are 12 states that are now allowing teachers to receive the vaccine, but only six, I say, would I call like unfeathered access. The other six have different rules depending on whether it's counties um, and so forth. So it's not quite widespread eligibility. So really, it's probably fair to say six widespread eligibility for teachers to get the vaccine. But let me tell you, I don't even care that there are certain restrictions in, in, in the way. At least they are already trying to serve their teachers. Right. And you're saying 12 and really, you know, unrestricted six. OK, well, that leaves, you know, how many more states that have not addressed um, taking care of their educators? And we are going into the buildings face to face 
um, with children every day. Now, granted, you know, there are a lot of districts across the country who have been virtual, who have remained virtual, who are returning virtual. Um, but many schools in, in all over the country are not. And I just hope that they can get it together, um, handle the reserve questions about whether we have enough doses um, being distributed out to the different states, whether there's enough for the second doses, but just get it together so that teachers can just get some peace of mind about getting the vaccine. The um, states, if you're curious, the six that are actually like unfeathered access teachers can get the vaccine or at least try to sign up for it. It's New York, Michigan. You've got New Mexico, Utah. Mm-hmm. Idaho and Hawaii. Now I did, to be fair, I did see one story out of Michigan where teachers are like, we can't even log in to get it. Like we, we cannot get registered. Uh, I'd like to, they're struggling with the website. Is it too much? So they're probably working to expand um, the website so we can handle that many users. But let me just throw this out here and say that I'm pretty proud of New York. When you think back to, you know, almost a year ago, who was the first state that was just devastated just ravished by COVID and Mm -hmm. it was New York. And so for them to already um, have access and put something together, hopefully in a very organized fashion um, for their teachers, I'm, I'm proud of them. I'm proud of the governors um, who are trying to think outside the box and find ways to speed up distribution. I mean, kudos to our governor using the national guard very quickly, very early on to like set up the sites and using those resources. So the medical professionals can actually administer the vaccination in a quicker way. Um, I'm, I'm a little disappointed that these ideas weren't being floated more openly on a federal and widespread level, at least over the past four or five months. So we were in a better position and I'm going to throw an idea out there. And I mean, this may or may not be a good idea, but it's like you take a place like Disney, right? Who has laid off lots of employees. And I would have liked to see the governments go to a company like that where they're shut down in California. They never even reopened and say, all right, well, you guys are the masters at moving people from point A to point B in a safe way. Can you please, you know, hire for the next five or six months, 20, 30,000 employees and help us with this distribution process? You know, we'll bring in the medical professionals, but we need you to like actually work on coordinating the logistics of things. And and I just haven't seen a whole lot of that. Would you agree? It's so interesting that you mentioned California, because I literally was just waiting a moment before I asked you if you had heard any news about the state of California um, and how they are doing with, um, you know, providing their vaccinations, but even more so if they are even, you know, anywhere close to um, providing support for their teachers. So I love the idea that you just gave. One of the conversations that we've had recently is, you know, why has it been so hard? Why did the rollout, for lack of a better way to say it, pretty much it's almost failed because we should have had 20, vac- 20 million vaccinations, what, by the end of December is what they were saying? And so why didn't we consider those things in the beginning? And if we did, who blocked it and who shut it down? Yeah, and I think it, it's not that someone blocked it. I just don't think there was much of a, a coordinated effort. And it was kind of like, all right, states, you figure it out. And states, you know, have have large task of just trying to treat people with COVID-19. But to give you some perspective, now, Israel is a country of 9 million people. Um, but so far, they have vaccinated 27% of their population. And they believe that they're actually starting to see effects. Um, Also coming from that, I saw an interesting story out of Israel since they are vaccinating so many people and they're apparently sharing data with Pfizer. Um, They are saying that 98% of the hospital staff that have received the second shot have very high levels. And it's actually, they they believe that the the people who are receiving that second shot are more like 96 to 98% safe 
from COVID-19. So like the numbers continue to be very good, especially for that Pfizer vaccine. I haven't heard a whole lot about the Moderna one um, recently, but of course it is supposed to be over 90% as well. So good news. Okay. So you were asking about California. California is giving vaccinations to teachers in some places. From what I understand, the bigger the city, the more congested things are, the less likely you are to get the vaccine. But if you're in a smaller community or a smaller county, you stand a better chance of getting in line. And again, teachers are available in some counties, but not others. There was a story out of Los Angeles, the Los Angeles Unified Superintendent Austin uh, Butner is calling on the state and local health officials to immediately allow the district to turn its more than 1,400 schools into COVID vaccination sites, which I think is pretty brilliant. Like, let's let's that use these schools. Brilliant. They're already closed. Um, and and. And what's interesting is they're actually not just saying like they're saying let let us use school staff to vaccinate people. And I don't know how hard that is. I don't know if like a, just anybody can do it or if it can only be. Well, a maybe nurse. they're specifically referring to school nurses, right? And, and and whatnot. And let's remember that a lot of times you have CNAs and nursing students who earn practicum hours by serving in the schools. So I think maybe they're referring to that, and not necessarily just teachers. <laughs> Giving each other shots because I would not be a proponent for that. Right. So, um, yeah, again, this is outside the box thinking. It was a letter that the the superintendent sent to Governor Gavin Newsom. There's no ruling on whether or not this will happen, but it just makes sense to use these large public institutions like schools. I mean, 1,400 schools is a lot of schools to uh, actually roll out the vaccinations um, and especially focusing on, you know, those, I guess, one B block of people like the teachers that we've been talking about um, would be crucial. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Other news that I saw recently that um, really jumped out at me that I think kind of touched my heart a little bit was a story I saw out of the Washington Post um, talking about a teacher who was called up by the National Guard. He is a teacher out of Fairfax County, Virginia, and he Mm -hmm. teaches music. Well, now he is guarding the Capitol, um, you know, in full military fatigues and all. Um, But he is continuing to meet with his students in his Humvee with a computer and they have a a shot of this guy, this teacher with a a computer in his lap um, and he's holding a flute and he's looking down at the computer, talking to his students. It's, it's just a touching thing to see that. What what say you? And you know what I want you to think about that, that that's teachers all over the country, even though they're not in fatigues and they're not Mm -hmm. serving in the military teachers that are serving in schools with poor infrastructure, poor internet teachers who are, at home because their districts are completely virtual and they're using their own Wi-Fi or internet access that might not be very strong, that are working, you know, multiple jobs. And so even in the evening when it's more convenient for families to get online, they're they're in closets and they're at their other jobs and they're everywhere mm-hmm. just trying to serve children. And that's what I wish people would remember um, about right now is that teachers are making it happen. And this is just a little phrase. We've kind of overused it in the last eight months, but it's so true. You making that point, I have not really like briefed you on this topic, but I'm going to throw it out there and kind of get your opinion because I've been seeing this a lot on Twitter. There's a lot of talk about um, the new administration pushing a uh, $15 uh, minimum wage uh, for the entire country. And um, essentially, that seems to equal out somewhere around $31,000, $32,000 a year if you're paid minimum wage, you know, on a full-time position. And a lot of people have been kind of pointing out the fact that that's not much less than what a lot of starting it's teachers not- make. So I think I know the answer to this, but I think people are starting to say, does that say something about the minimum wage being too high or something about teachers being paid too low? 
I think it talks, I think it really references that teachers are being paid too low because let's, you can, we can use myself as an example. Um, with my years of experience and level of degree, if I was still in the classroom, um, you know, the, what we made by an hour or let's say our daily rate does not jump significantly unless you go into administration. Mm -hmm. And so sitting on 21 years in education, I still know that if I decided to volunteer to provide tutoring services after school or to work summer school, I'm only going to be offered $20 an hour because that is about equivalent to what teachers make. And so that's what schools are able to afford when they want to have um, those extra programs. And so if you bring, you know, the wages up to $15 an hour, I think you keep people from starving and making a decision between paying their rent and keeping the lights on or keeping food on the table or putting gas in their vehicles if they have a vehicle. But then you need to go back and think about your teachers have been in that predicament all along, right. going to college, getting in debt with student loans to get a college degree that's required in order to get a license to teach only to have to work an additional side gig or two to make ends meet. It's not right. No, no, it's not right. Not at all. I mean, my first job, and you can share if you'd like to share your own, my first job as a um, news reporter, which are, are often paid not a lot. A lot of people think news reporters make a lot of money because they're on TV and somehow they equate that money comes with it. I was paid $24,000 a year for my my first reporting job. That was in 2000 and I think it was about two, 2002, 2003, maybe. When I came to Mississippi, um, ready to get married and start a life, I began my teaching career here in the state. I was coming in, having already earned three years of experience in the state of Texas, and I came to Mississippi and I made, I want to say, about $24,000. That was it. For, on my fourth, going into my fourth year. Yeah, that's, see, that's criminal. That and hurts. It, and it's come up a little bit, I guess, since then, but a, a little not bit. a whole lot. And No, sir. And, and I still want to say a first year teacher right now might make 33. And I would have not been able to stay with my career and you might be in the same boat thanks to help maybe or just, you know, you and your husband working together and both being employed. I wouldn't be able to do it if it weren't for my parents, like helping me out with some major bills. They knew that this Very is what true. I wanted to do and with my life. And so fortunately, they were like, oh, we'll help you, you know, pay your car insurance or, or do this or whatever. And it was just those little things along the way that allowed me to continue to pursue my career and eventually make a little bit more money. But, um, well, you know, a lot of people yeah, don't have many that. of us out there right. that, could, that had that <laughs> exactly and that and that's what's a shame is that you know 24,000 just isn't enough to live I've, I've lived in, in during it, that it time. is not and let's be clear it, whether you get a brand new car or a used car pay your car note and your insurance then pay your student loan payment because let me tell you those folks you they make you feel like they're going to beat your door down and then you have to figure out okay now I've got to look at breakfast lunch and dinner for the rest of the month and how am I going to stretch it Right. And I, I'm telling you that I don't regret it at all. I love the experiences that I have. I love being an educator. And I also appreciate understanding the value of the dollar and how to struggle and how to overcome so that I could be sure to teach that to my children. But I wouldn't want to go back to that day that I have had some experiences that would probably blow your mind trying to figure out how that that fume mm -hmm. running on fumes. You know, we say that all the time when we're just running around and we're exhausted and need to take a nap. But I literally drove around the city with my tank on fumes trying to get to and from work because I just didn't have money for gas. I've been there when I didn't know what I was going to eat, how was I going to eat, you know, and, and it's just so unfair 
to 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 serve in a thankless job like that mm-hmm. it's unfair i just i do worry i do believe there should be a hike in minimum wage i do worry though that it potentially could hurt jobs like being a teacher in terms of recruitment i mean if you know that you could make $32,000 working at, you know, a place where you don't have to work as hard and don't have to have a degree versus, you know, making thirty-four, $35,000 as a teacher, maybe fewer people might be likely to want to be a teacher. We've got to do something more to continue we to motivate to people to, to want those types of positions. And um, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think ta- the, the only thing that might keep us holding on until a change comes um, is when we think about full benefits, when we think about um, the impact that we make on the world by serving children right. and, and and teaching students. And, you know, when we think about how we grow and learn with our colleagues, there are so many positives to being an educator. And I think sometimes when we get caught up in the things that we want to see improved and changed, there's just such a negative, you know, in my opinion, there's just such a negative connotation about the teaching profession. And I just wish not only could we pay our teachers more and and if we could globally show our appreciation better, but I also just pray that one day we can truly have a positive perception about the career choice to become an educator. Yeah, no no doubt. That certainly would be at the root of the challenges um, that we face. Um, well, definitely an interesting discussion. I'll be curious to see if an actual $15 minimum wage um, will make it all the way through Congress. My hunch is that we'll probably see something um, in between where we are now and $15. I think you'll probably see some sort of... But at least the, the conversation has started and you always shoot for the stars and then find you know, a common place that everybody can agree upon. So if right. 15 is the, is the, you know, the ceiling right now, maybe they'll sell it on 10 to 12. Well, and I almost kind of wonder like if, if maybe 15, it should be $15 if you live in, you know, California, an expensive place like San Francisco, right? Like it needs to be that high for but, sure. I'm telling you the cost of living is very different. Right. Um, but does it need to be $15 in a, in a small town like we live in? Um, you know, it's certainly debatable, but uh, either which way, it'll be interesting to watch. Um, Christina, are you ready for today's Bright Idea? I am. Our guest in today's Bright Idea segment is here to give us a few pointers on how people in leadership roles can have difficult conversations. Minnesota principal and author Jessica Cabine is the author of Hacking Early Learning and Lead with Grace, just to name a couple of the books. Jessica, thanks for chatting with us on Class Dismissed. Oh, it's an honor. I'm excited to be a part of this, this community. So thanks for inviting me. Yeah, and I was reading uh, through a few different articles, and I came across something you wrote in uh, Principal Leadership. It was titled, Leading with Grace Through Difficult Conversations. And and it really just struck me as, as great advice um, for anybody who um, finds himself in a leadership role and needs to have these difficult conversations, especially if you kind of come up through maybe the ranks uh, and, and you're in a school that maybe you once were, say, a teacher in, and now you're an assistant principal or principal, um, and just kind of how you can navigate um, leading, I guess, people that maybe you've worked with in a lateral role in, in previous times. Um, is that kind of what you were thinking when you're writing this? Or is that just how I interpreted it? No, absolutely. And I think so often, especially new leaders, aspiring leaders, lead with a title um, instead of their authentic self. And so they they lead in the way they perceive or see on social media or read about, and then they lose who they are. And, and leading with grace is really kind of taking all of the parts of you and and moving forward in a way that that people still know who you are and you know who you are. And that's even more important is, is you have to be grounded in you and your why and your how, and then you can you can move forward with others. You being a principal, I mean, was that something you kind of learned along the way or something you just kind of grabbed? 
grasp pretty quickly? Oh, I learn it every day. <laughs> every day I lead with grace. It's just, just learning something new every day and forgiving yourself along the way. That's kind of my mantra because I think, um, especially during COVID, uh, we're, we're navigating such new territory. And if you're not willing to engage in tough conversations and be willing to, to walk in knowing you don't actually have the answers because we've never had this happen before, mm-hmm. <laughs> to be that vulnerable and transparent really opens up dialogue for people to, to be able to share their concerns and their struggles and, and what's stressing them out right now. I mean, for me, when I was um, in, a, in a leadership role, I kind of learned, um, you know, I would reflect afterwards after I'd have these difficult conversations. And I felt like I got better along the way. But I mean, when I reflect on it, there were things that I didn't do right out the gate. Was Do you have any moment in your life where you kind of started to reflect and you thought, all right, I could have done X or Y better? Oh, all, all the time. And, and actually, I think more recently, I've been willing and opened myself up to receiving feedback after difficult conversations. If it's multiple people in a room, or mm-hmm. you know, if you're in, if you're in a conversation that requires like union representation and things, afterwards, I you know, I'll come back and just say, "Could I have said that differently? Could I have said that any better?" Um, or sometimes I'll go through these conversations and I'll have someone just give me feedback because uh, I know that there's things that I just need to work on in order for my message to be heard and not hurtful. I know you've got a few tips in this particular article, and we'll kind of run through them, and and maybe you can elaborate. So one of them is, don't worry about being hated. Yeah. Do you want to like or lead? That's like, that's, I think that's the key, especially... For new leaders, you you see that everybody, you know, you hand out gifts and cards of gratitude and and likes and getting things in return, but um, that doesn't always translate to to full transformational leadership. I, leadership is making difficult decisions and sticking to your your ground and and moving forward and not negotiating things. And that's really hard because so many people get into this work because they they crave working with others, serving others, and and being liked and. And that's not always what you can do in some of these more difficult conversations. I remember there was a moment um, when I was at a Christmas party after taking over a leadership role. And the previous years at the Christmas party, everyone wanted to sit with me and hang out with me. But after I'd been in the role for a little bit, yeah. I felt like I was it was it was a little lonelier at the top, if you will. And um, yeah. but but I guess I mean that is kind of what you have to accept somewhat as a leader, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You have in setting some boundaries, and and that's really hard, especially like you mentioned at the beginning. If you're moving up the ranks within an organization, a school, uh, your relationships change, and you have to set some boundaries around that because uh, it's important for not only you but the other people involved. You you want to make sure that their relationships with their colleagues are are maintained and professional too. So it is hard, um, but then what it also gives you an opportunity to is to expand your network and to collaborate and connect with other principals, maybe within your community, maybe on social media, at conferences, things like that. So it, it opens up new levels of friendships and new circles too. You say, keep it professional and don't take things personally. What do you mean by that? Yes. Oh my goodness. Um, that can really skew your interactions with someone. And I think so much of our work is in our heads. <laughs> we overthink so much of what other people think of us. Mm-hmm. So, so you could, for example, have an interaction with someone and then think, oh, I think they hate me or, oh, I think they're just mad at me and then have that in your mind. So every time you see them, you think that and, and they've probably moved on. Honestly, half the time, they don't even remember what you wore yesterday. Like people don't spend as much time thinking about you as you really think. 
And mm-hmm. so being professional around that, um, and, and if somebody does have a negative interaction, you just really want to circle back and try to maintain that relationship or regain some ground on that moving forward. So they don't feel like you're going to continually be quote unquote out to get them. That's a lot of times what people think. And so it's trying to find those intentional, meaningful moments to connect with them again and just say, Hey, I know we had this interaction. I know we had this conversation, but if you truly believe in them and the work that they're doing and you want to coach them to get better, they're going to see that and and want to improve for you too. Yeah, I guess. So do you, it sounds like this is what you're saying. Like if you have that difficult conversation, say with, with an employee and, and then you make an effort a day or two later to kind of, you know, break the ice after the difficult conversation yes. to have something more casual to talk about. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because it just seems like the longer the pause, the more awkward it becomes. And, and one other thing too, and, and I would stress this, especially in this, in this new way of learning and communicating where it's through zoom and through emails and things, if they're hard conversations, make a phone call or meet in person, or meet on Zoom, or Teams, or whatever, don't ever send it in an email. Email just can continually um, fuel to fire instead of diffusing it, because you can't really read through a person's intonation, their voice, their, their kindness, their caringness, their concern. You just see the written communication. And so that's where, especially um, on the receiving end too, sometimes I'll just call someone and say, hey, I'm reading this email. Can you help me understand it? Because otherwise you might internalize something that was not ever what their intention was. I kind of want to go on a little tangent because you you mentioned, you know, just at this time during COVID-19, what has that been like being a leader when it comes to difficult conversations, when we're in this world where so much is done remotely? I mean, have you, have you made it? an effort to where you try to have those conversations in those rare opportunities where you're in person with people or have you been just continuing those conversations via zoom and phone what's been the workaround so um we're we're in minnesota in a smaller community and our our numbers aren't incredibly high but we also want to be mindful of everybody's concern and so when at all possible i offer people the opportunity to meet in person So I always offer that. I'm like, here's, I'd like to connect with you. Here's the ways in which we can do it. We can do it in person. We could do it outside. I've done some really nice, like nature and mindful walks with people. And we've had really good conversations. Mm -hmm. So we're away from the screens. Um, But I always try to offer that option first. But then otherwise, I really do prefer like a, a, a Zoom or Teams or something, because I think it's really important to see each other's eyes and their face. And there's just something about, um, making those connections with people. And it's just even more important now when, when a lot of us feel really disconnected and discombobulated and um, just a loss of control in, in how we've done things and what's being done to us and what's being done, you know, to our families and our community and just having a, a chance to just let teachers and staff know that it is out of your control and you are doing what you can do. And, and that's hard to say, Nick, <laughs> Mm-hmm, <laughs> in this right. season, but it's really just being that listening ear, that encourager, and that that voice of just positivity. Like we have to continue to focus on the kids who are learning, the kids who are growing, the the, the small baby steps we're making. Because otherwise, you can really get sucked into a, a negative hole that impacts just your your day to day interactions. Yeah, and kind of in that same vein, I mean, one of your tips is focus on what you can control. I guess that's within the conversation, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and I and that's been really important um, in conversations with staff. And there's a teacher. Mo- most teachers here, when I meet with them, they're like, "Oh my gosh, here she goes." The first thing I always ask is, "How are you?" 
No matter mm-hmm. what we're going to talk about, I always make time to start with you as a person first before we get into the professional business, because I just think it's important that everybody knows even more so in this season that as a leader, I care about you and your mental health and your well-being, because the more your cup is full, the better full you are to share with your students and the families you serve. And so I think that's, I always just say, okay, what can we control in this situation? How are you taking care of yourself? Are you sleeping? Are you eating? Are you taking time away from this computer? And that really helps to um, make everything else kind of go back into place and perspective. You mentioned that you, you've learned to pause and take three deep breaths and kind of jot down your fears if, if you're starting to get upset in a, in a meeting with somebody. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and actually at home too, with two teenage boys that distance learning isn't going so awesome for them either, Nick. Sometimes I get home at the end of the day and I'm like, oh, we have a little missing work. Three deep breaths. Now let's work through this. <laughs> but it, it, there is something with just that, um, the tense in our shoulders, the the anxiety inside, the boiling pot over, just s- stepping back, stretching your back taking a deep breath, jotting some things down, just kind of helping control your thoughts uh, before they escape your mouth, (laughs) if that makes sense. No, absolutely. Um, And and lastly, you kind of recommend to empathize. And this is natural for some people and and not so much for others. So I guess I would say, what would you say to the person that has trouble empathizing, but is in that leadership role? Um, so this, this was actually a skill set I needed to, to learn. And I spent time reading books on, on mindfulness and um, being present. And so empathy for me is also having a better understanding of the person I'm working with or speaking to. So having empathy for others also means like in a school is like, if you're going to have a conversation with a staff member, what do you know about them? If you're going to have a hard conversation with someone and you don't know if they're single or they're married or how their home life is or what their favorite activity is, kind of like our kids. If we want our kids to to grow and be inspired and, and work with us, if, if we don't know about them, they don't really want to get to know us. And so that's been really helpful for me. And before I enter conversations that are difficult, I, ha- I take a step back and I think about, is there anything going on in this person's life professionally or personally that might be impacting their day-to-day decisions? And sometimes I have that door to open with them too, to say, is there something going on that I might not just be aware of that's mm-hmm. impacting, you know, things that are going on. And then that's when we can go in and work on, you know, do you, do you need some more support here at school? Do you want us, our coach to come in? Do you, do you have resources to speak with a counselor? I think so often we just jump to people not doing what we want them to do without taking a step back and seeing, is there anything else going on? why they, they're not performing to the level that they probably want to as well. Uh, your most recent book um, titled Lead with Grace, Leaning into the Soft Skills of Leadership. I mean, what was really your goal there? Why did you decide to write that? I've been doing consulting work with uh, school leaders and going to conferences and connecting with with leaders. And, and they led with their title and they lost their sense of mm-hmm. self. And, and leading with grace and those soft skills, I think, really help you make sure your message is heard. I, th- I think too often we we think we're supposed to say it in this way and in this tone in one way and and if they if somebody comes back and says well I don't know that well that was in an email like that's not building relationships with anybody uh, and so really leading with grace those soft skills are really the essential skills that are going to help leaders get to that next level and and just be a better 
for themselves and the community they serve. I like that leading with your title, but I think sometimes people who lead with their title may not realize it. So so help me kind of finish this thought. Mm-hmm. You might be leading with your title if you are in your office more than you're in the halls. Mm-hmm. You are leading. This is a really good, Nick. I like this. You are um, leading with your title when you're not listening, when you might be multitasking when someone's having a conversation with you. You might be leading with your title if you're in a meeting and on your email at the same time. When you're not being really fully connected and present um, because you're thinking you have to get to the next thing or you have to be that for the next person and you're not in the moment, um, you're not fully engaged in in learning how to navigate situations uh, as they arise. Jessica, it is uh, fantastic advice. Ah! Uh, I really love it. And um, if somebody wants to keep up with you, I guess you seem pretty active on uh, Twitter. Is that correct? Yeah. And uh, trying the Instagram middle school principal. I'm trying some of the, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not much of a Snapchatter yet. I'm going to be honest, but the kids got me on the Instagram. So I'm working. And I said the Instagram, I sound like an 80 year old grandma right now, but, um, but yeah, I'm working on the, on Instagram and on Twitter. And then on Facebook, it's principal in balance is my page where I try to post resilient activities, resources, and just supports for educators. So if somebody wants to keep up with you on Twitter, it looks like your handle is uh, Jessica Cabine. Uh, and yep. um, and Instagram, is that the same handle? Yep. Yep. Great. And then I, I do have a website. It's not awesome, but it's not awful, but it's up there as well. And all my information's linked too. Excellent. Well, we really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. Are you ready for our uh, pop quiz? Oh my gosh. I you, you teased me with this at the beginning. So yeah, yeah, I've been looking forward to it. All right. First question. If students could only go to school for one subject, which subject should it be? Oh, I love it. Well, I'm just going to, I'm going to plug at Ellis Middle School. We started an academic coach this year with COVID and I, and I'm going to have a hard time losing that. And it's an, it's a course in which kids are focusing on social, emotional learning, organizational skills in gaining the technology supports they need. So when they go home on the hybrid days, they know how to get into Schoology, into their portal, how to send an email, all while also spending time with mindfulness. And then this quarter, we're moving into college and career readiness. So it's just been a really fun course to see evolve over the this year. That sounds fantastic. Now, uh, what are we not teaching in school that we should be teaching? Oh, I think more passion genius hour opportunities. It's never too young to start figuring out what you want to do when you grow up. And I think too often we we put ourselves into little pockets. And so giving kids chances to really dream big, even at middle school is super important. What does every child deserve? An adult that cares about them. What's the biggest challenge for today's educators? Pivoting. <laughs> I think that's right. Yeah, I think it's um it's the the instant innovation that we're doing this year at such a fast pace. What's the best gift to give an educator? Praise. Encouragement. Which teacher changed your life? Mm, my mother. Was she a teacher or just just a yep. mother? Yep. Yep. That's great. Yep. Uh, what'd she do? What, what kind of stands out for you? She uh, was a speech pathologist for, uh, we lived in a smaller community up in Northern Wisconsin. And so she was pre-K-12. So whatever building I was in, my mother was there. 
I could be a kindergartner. And then when I was in high school on Thursday, she was at the high school. And I just, um, her compassion and empathy for others and how she served her students from age two to age 21 and the connection she continued with them through adulthood really um, helped me see such value and important, not only in relationships with the students you serve, but their families and their, their networks. And last question, pen or pencil? Ooh, flare pens. Pens. Flare pens. All right. Again, uh, the book is Lead with Grace, and the author is Jessica Cabine. We appreciate you uh, joining us on Class Dismissed. You'll have to come back on in the future. Oh my gosh, this is so much fun. Great questions. Thanks again for having me. That's going to do it for this episode of Class Dismissed. If you want to send us an idea or comment, remember you can always email us at info at classdismissedpodcast.com or tweet us at classdismissed. We're here to support educators, but we need your support as well. So please subscribe to the show. And we'd also appreciate it if you could leave us a five-star review on iTunes. On behalf of all the good people working at School Status and Christina, representing all those educators out there, thank you for listening. I'm Nick Ortigo, and I'll talk with you next week. Class dismissed.